Praise the Lord. All right, so we can go, if you can, let's turn to Matthew 6, 9 through 15. Matthew 6, 9 through 15. And Pam had actually had a dream a couple of weeks ago in which the Lord uh, was um, placed some things upon her heart. And it, as a part of this, um, she had a, like a strong unction in her spirit that we need to get the Lord's Prayer and the things that are the major principles associated with the Lord's Prayer back active into our hearts, into our lives on a daily basis. Amen? Aaliyah, so I think a lot of times we take it for granted because it's on so many postcards and portraits and statues and books and ch- charts and diagrams and plaques. But sometimes stuff gets so, you get so accustomed to stuff that you kind of forget it, and it, it loses its potency and its power. And Jesus didn't say this so it would just be on the wall. He said it because this is something that he intended for us to pray on a daily basis. That doesn't mean to quote it verse by verse in order, but he's basically saying these are the things that you need to be praying so that the blessings of God can flow in your life on a daily basis. So that being the case, we are going to study it. It'll probably be this week as well as next week. Amen? So anyway, we're going to look at Matthew 6, 9 through 15. All right, Matthew 6, 9 through 15, and we're talking about the Lord's Prayer. And this is the words of Jesus saying this entire passage. Amen? Matthew 6, 9 through 15. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Amen? Hallelujah. And I know it pretty much ends on verse 13, but I really felt led to include the final two as well. Amen? Because I believe there's an emphasis on this principle of forgiveness. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we thank and praise you, Lord, for the awesome responsibility and privilege, Father, to come before your throne of grace to give us a privilege to praise you in song and in prayer and proclamations as well as to partake of the bread of life. And we know according to your word that out of your word, amen, proceeds the issues of life. And your word gives us divine health and strength and wisdom, Father. We praise and thank you, Father, for it. And even, Father, we thank you that even as you place upon um, Pam's heart uh, for us to study the Lord's prayer in this time and season, we don't know what's on the horizon, Lord, but we know, Father, that if you told us that these are the things we should be praying on a daily basis, Lord, these are some of the things we need to keep in mind. So we thank you, Father, that in advance of the need, you've shown us how to pray through your word, and we thank you, Father, that we would uh, implement these things into our spirit, into our heart, into our mind, into our prayers, Father, on a daily basis. We thank you, praise you, Father, for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. So as I said, the Lord Jesus himself provided us a pattern of prayer to guide us in every area of our lives according to not his own opinion, 
not according to the trend of the day, but this is according to kingdom principles and philosophies, amen? And one of the things we see, even before we get to the point of praying for our daily necessities, because a lot of us are focused on a daily basis about, I need this, and I got to handle that, and oh, this is going on with my kids, and this is what's going on at work. But we see here that before he even gets to the point of praying about our daily necessities, the first thing that comes out of Jesus' mouth as it relates to prayer is that we need to have our focus on our Father, which are in heaven. Amen? That sums it all, that says it all, that is how we're supposed to start our day. Not thinking about what is going on, what could happen to us, what went good or what went bad yesterday and how that's going to affect today. But instead, when we get up out of our beds in the morning, we should first acknowledge and think about our Heavenly Father, which is in heaven. Amen? That's why if you notice, we sang our Father again. We sang it last week. We sang it again this week. But that word, that song started off with our Father, which is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's how we need to start this thing on a daily basis. So Jesus talked about that. Our Father, which art in heaven. That's the first thing we should be thinking about as we pray. And even if we're not praying, as we get up on a daily basis, the mindset, this is God's day. I'm just allowed to live in it. And what does he have for me for this day and season? Amen. Now, um, one of the first things I want to look at is Exodus chapter 3, verses 11 through 14, as we think about our Father who art in heaven. And we see here, it says, And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. That says it all. I am. <laughs> That I am. Because you got to realize, see, this isn't the, the philosophy of our time where a lot of people don't even talk about God. Or when they do, it's in a negative manner. And a lot of people that even serve the God of heaven or another God, they don't go around wearing it on their sleeve. During that time and season in which he lived, people talked about their gods all the time. And people worshipped a lot of things. So for Moses to go into Egypt and say, hey, I'm sent by God to deliver the people out of Egypt. Let my people go. First of all, Pharaoh was of a religious system that he believed he was God on earth. So you tell me that your God said, let my people go. I'm a God. Now what? <laughs> I ain't impressed. There's gods all over the place. And especially, especially in Egypt, we got the frog God, the sun God, the snake God, the lizard God. <laughs> All kinds of gods. So what do I care that you sent in your God to say, let me go? I ain't impressed. That's why we had the Ten Commandments. Moses ain't impressed about a God coming here saying, let my people go. I'm God myself. So why am I going to listen to him? I am a God. Amen? <laughs> so Moses said, hey, I know that they're not going to be impressed. So therefore, what do you want me to say? And who do you want me to say sent you? And God immediately responded, I am that I am. And you can tell him that I am sent you here this day to say, let my people go. Now, the phrase I am in the underlying Hebrew refers to the self-existing one 
who was and is and is to come. And that just blows the mind right there. I mean, maybe it don't blow your mind, it blows my mind. Because I'm a man of science. I like looking into science and quarks and protons and antimatter and, and comets and wormholes and, and black holes. And now they're saying it might be the same way that there's black holes that suck up everything in there and somehow suck up everything, massive, massive planets and suns and everything, and that a black hole could be as small as a pen and suck in the sun. That just blows your mind. And now they're saying, according to science, that there might be white holes that instead of sucking up everything, they spit out everything. Well, what does what they spit out come from? Does it come from a black hole? <laughs> I mean, this stuff just blows your mind. So when you think about creation and all the things, and even they're talking about multiple universes and string theories, that everything around us, we might be on a vibrating string. The whole universe might be a string among many strings. It just blows your mind. And to think about all the possibilities that are out there and the eternal God, and then to think about the fact that not only in all the complexities of the universe, but each one of us as human beings, we were born out of a natural process. We come out of our mothers, we grow up to adulthood, and then we produce offspring. But then to have God say, I am the self-existing one. I was never born. Where'd you come from? How can you exist without being born? But he says here in the word, I am. I am the self-existence one. Where'd you come from? <laughs> it, I don't know about you, it blows my mind. How can you, he says, I was, I am, and I am to come. And I will always be here, and I always was here, and I'm here right now. That just blows my mind. I was born on December 30th, 1960. I don't know the day of my termination, but I know where, who I came from and when it happened. But God says, I just always was. Whew. That, 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 that just blows my mind. I don't know about you. I, and that's what he told Moses. <laughs> when you go to Pharaoh and he says, who sent you? Tell him I am the self-existent one. Because, see, Moses thought he was a god, but yet Moses knew his birthday. Mo I'm, I'm sorry, Pharaoh knew his birthday. And then Pharaoh knew that the Pharaoh before him was born and died so that he could come. Being somebody who thought he was a god, he knows that his father, who was also a god from his perspective, died and he was born. So Moses sends in a person and says, I always was and will be and will be to come. That just... Blows the mind. Amen. But that is the person. See, it wasn't just the frog God, the sun God, the snake God, the... Amen. So like I said, that just blows my mind that with all the other gods that could come there to see him, God said, I am the self-existent one who is always there, who is now here, who will be here after you're gone, and I'm telling you, let my people go. And here's the thing. Not only is he the self-existent God that was and is and is to come, but he's the God that says, I am with you right now in the present time. And as I send you forth to Pharaoh, certainly I will be with you at all times. 
So not only is he the God that was and is and is to come, but as he dispatches us out on a daily basis, the same way he dispatched out his servant Moses, we have the mindset that we can bless and glorify the name of God because he's with us all the time, even as he was with his servant. Amen? Thank God. Because how many times have we been in a situation where we felt we were all alone? It puts everything in a whole new perspective when you realize that the one who is always here, that is here now, will always be, even after we're terminating and gone for 100 years or how long Jesus tarries, to know that he is totally and perpetually consistent in all his attributes and he will always be with us wherever we go. Amen? That is the person we're serving. That is the person we're under the confines of. Amen? The God who is in heaven. So that's an awesome thing. So do we acknowledge... As it said in our text scripture with Jesus, do we, as we get up on a daily basis, do we acknowledge that we are serving the one that just as he dispatched his servant Moses out into Egypt, a land of hostility, aggressiveness, and disbelief at who he was, as God sends us out in the same manner to places that might treat us the same way, do we realize that we can get similar results to Moses, that they may not want to adjust themselves and their mindset to us. They might not want to change their behavior. They might try to be roadblocks in our path, but yet we serve the same God we saw deliver Moses, and now he could do the same for us. Amen? That is the Father in heaven that we so surely should be blessing on a daily basis and acknowledging on a daily basis. And he should be glorified in all the things that we've done. We have to realize we are on a mission from God. Amen? Whether you believe it or not, you might think up that I'm getting up and I'm just going to slack today. But you're on a mission for for God in this time and season. You have a purpose for your life. And thank God that we can look up to him. You may not know what you're doing or where you're going, but you can look up to your heavenly father. That's a great thing right there. The fact that he's your heavenly father. Amen. Your earthly father may have, you know, just just, um, thrown you away, cast you aside, refused to claim you as his own. But yet your heavenly father openly proclaims you and professes that you are his and wants you and desires a relationship with you and wants to send you out there to be fruitful. Amen? Hallelujah. Thank God for our Father which art in heaven. Hallelujah. Hallowed be his name. (laughs) Hallelujah. We're getting there too. But thank God that he saved his servant Moses. He sent him out as an ambassador before a hostile kingdom. But yet he saved him, and he promises to do the same in our lives as well. We're going to go to Acts 17, verses 24 through 29. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worship with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he have given to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring." For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. Oops, wrong way. Hallelujah. Something just caught my eye right there, too. Just think about that. For we are also his offspring. 
I just thought about that. How many people in this day and age are hurt, wounded, destroyed because their fathers denied them or mothers denied them or, or neglected them? We live in an age where it's the other way around. All these offspring traveling around on a daily basis that God says, I want you to be my child, and they're not acknowledging him. No, you're not my father. It's neglect in reverse. We neglect our heavenly father. Amen? In some cases, even those of us who are saved, and we make a profession that he's our heavenly father, but do we live it out on a daily basis and really acknowledge this is my heavenly father. I want to make him proud of me. I want to report to him and say, hey, this is what's going on in my life. I want to communicate with him. Do we really acknowledge him as our heavenly father? Because we see here, he says, we are his offspring, but not necessarily all of his offspring are in good relationship with their heavenly father. Amen? Hallelujah. That's something. So we, always, we also focus on the pursuit of various things in life that we feel are going to sustain us while forgetting the reality that our heaven, heavenly father is the perpetual source of our earthly and eternal security, strength, and livelihood. We need to examine ourselves to confirm whether we are truly trusting him above all things or if we are unconsciously comparing what he can do for us with the tangible things of this world that we want to pursue. And if you really think about that, pursuing worldly things as a priority over pursuing God is really giving more reverence and glory to those things. It's a form of devotion. Sometimes it's actually a form of worship that you're chasing after all these things, but you don't have time for God on your schedule. Amen? You know, it's a shame. A lot of people, there's no thought of God until I'm in crisis mode. All of a sudden, oh, God. Why don't we, oh, God, on the day that you're having a good time, that money's in your bank account. Why isn't it, oh, God, praise you. Oh, God. I mean, oh, God is almost like a bad thing in a lot of people's lives. You know, and people, I hear them all the time, and I cringe, using the Lord's name in vain, but then how are you going to, at least if you're going to do it, you're going to deny his existence, you're going to use his name in vain, you're going to mock him, you're going to profane him, at least in a time of trouble, don't call out to him. Don't be hypocritical. Amen. But unfortunately, <laughs> you know, I guess I shouldn't say that because I guess sometimes it is the hard seasons and the hard times that make you finally get to the point where you bend your knee and cry out to him. So I guess, hey, we got to ignore some of the things that we see beforehand and pray that the situation will come. Hopefully not tragedy and great sorrow, but people will get to the place where they will finally acknowledge him as Lord and Savior. It's so nice and easy, though, if they would just come to it on their own without it being tragedy-related, amen? But I guess in some cases that's necessary to get people to that place. So we see here it says, God made the world and all things therein. You know, all the things in heaven and earth. He's made all things, all blood. One blood, all nations of men to dwell on the earth. That's a whole thing right there against racism. He didn't say I made a black blood, a Hispanic blood, and Chinese blood, and a Mongolian blood, and a Russian blood, and a Puerto Rican blood. No, he said I made of uh, all nations one blood. So all this racism stuff is nothing but a trick of the enemy. We're all one blood. We're all interrelated, interconnected. Amen? That's another story. Amen? But he made us all. And we see here that each one of us, because he's made us within his habitation, we should seek after him and we should be happily chasing after him, even as we sang earlier, chasing after you and trying to attain a relationship with God. Amen? 
And it says that he's not far from any of us, so we really have no excuse not capturing that relationship that we seek or obtaining it. But unfortunately, some of us, when it doesn't come quickly enough, or if we don't get God the way we want to package God, well, I don't really need this after all because it's not working out the way that I wanted it. Amen? Hallelujah. We should just pursue God just for the sake of relationship. And we see here, verse 28, one of the key things as it relates to our Father in heaven. In him, we live and move and have our being. Everything you do, everything you can do, everything you will ever attain is totally surrounded by the presence of God. Amen? Whether you acknowledge him or not. I mean, we're all really under confines of what God will allow us to do. And I know that there's a sin nature and people do certain things that are heinous. I'm not saying that God justifies that or condones it, but really each one of us has certain boundaries that he's given us. When we choose to go beyond those boundaries or to rebel against those boundaries, that's where we get ourselves in trouble. Amen. But we get to the place where we truly acknowledge him on a daily basis and we're praying and saying, God, what do you have for me? I acknowledge you as my father in heaven. What do you have for my life? What do you want me to do today? What do you want me to do on the five year plan? As we acknowledge God being at the forefront of all that, that's where he can cause us to prosper in all things. Amen. Hallelujah. So we ought to get to the place where we see that. And we see here that we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. It's not about material things. Instead, it's about the true riches, relationship, fellowship, blessings of obedience, earthly as well as eternal inheritance. These are the things of life that really matter. As they say, you come into the world naked, you're going to go out that way. Well, you might have a suit on, but at the end, <laughs> the suit's going to decay, the body's going to fade. The reality is it doesn't matter. They could put the best gold, diamond, and silver on your corpse in that coffin. But guess what? It's not going to have any value. Now it's going to be six feet under, never be found again. So at the end of the day, the only thing that really matters, the only thing that is really of treasure is relationship with God and with the people surrounding you. That's all that really matters at the end. That's why a lot of times you see some of the people that were the toughest, the roughest, the most materialistic, you know, the most uh, aggressive in terms of pursuing the things of this world, when they get to that deathbed, all they want is family around them. What about your bank account? I don't care. What about the will? Don't care. I just need my kids here. I just need my wife here, my husband here. All they care about that time is the true riches and the pining for where's God at now in the midst of all this. Amen? The true riches. All right, so we looked at God, our Father, who is in heaven. And we should not be comparing him to earthly things. It doesn't matter whether you have a million dollars in your bank account or zero dollars. The true riches and the true thing of value is having a relationship with our Heavenly Father who is in heaven. Amen? Hallelujah. And ushering in the presence of God that is in heaven down here on the earthly realm through interaction and relationship with him and praying the will of God in our lives and over our lives on a daily basis. So we looked at our Father who is in heaven. Now we're going to look at the next thing in the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. The word hallowed in our text scripture means to make holy, to purify or consecrate, to sanctify, and to venerate or reverence. Like I said, that's why 
you can say a lot of things, but when you use the Lord's name in vain, I just cringe. I, I, I just truly, truly do not like this. And it really, to see people that profess themselves as Christians, especially that will use that, I'm like, how can you actually use that? I mean, how can you say you have a relationship with him and then you use his name in a profane manner? You know, how can you do that? We're going to see contrary to how people might use it, according to the word of God, that we should glorify his name at all times. Psalm 8, 9 says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. That was actually a song. How excellent is thy name in all the earth. That word excellent means large, powerful, glorious, mighty, magnificent. I'll say it again, large, powerful, glorious, mighty, magnificent. And I'm sure as we evaluate the Lord and our relationship with him, as well as what he's done for us on a daily basis, I'm sure that we will all agree that these things suit who God is. Amen. He's not only all these things, but we can add our own. I'm sure we have our own personal words that we can add on top of that. The Lord is splendid. The Lord is incredible. (laughs) That's the thing. At the time that this was written, they wrote it in the Hebrew, but we go throughout time and we go through not only the Hebrew language, but other languages. I'm sure that even in our own dialect, we can say that God is many things. Matter of fact, in colloquialisms and slang, the Lord is bad, man. He's bad. The Lord is all that. So we could even put a little slang on it and modernize it. But the reality is, no, no matter how you want to describe it, no matter how you want to say it, if you're accurate about God, you can't help but use a positive word. And not just a positive word. I mean, we can't even talk about God and say he is good. That's, that's way too low. <laughs> I mean, I know we say God is good all the time, all the time God is good. But the reality is just saying the word good just doesn't quite sum it up. He's so far beyond anything that we can measure or quantify. The earthly or the human mind cannot even really quantify the greatness of God when you consider all the works of his hands and everything he's done within us on a, on a daily basis. And even in the design of us as, as his greatest creation. I mean, once again, I look across creation, I see all the things that the Lord has created in the visible known world. And then we even know that there's things in the microscopic world, things we can't even see because our microscopes can't even see down far enough. Our telescopes cannot see out far enough to see all the boundaries of God's creation. Amen. But when you look out across the heavens and you see images of the universe, it's just, it's just, it's just stunning to see God's handiwork, to see his artwork. And then when you take it down to the simple level of the smaller things that he's formed in fashion, look at a butterfly flying by and it's colorful wings. You look at birds of various colors. You look at birds like peacocks. You see tigers and lions and different things that God has created here on the earth. And then you look out across the boundaries of the ocean and some of the things he's, he's made, like the, uh, the, the, the whales and the dolphins and things like that. God's handiwork is so beautiful and so amazing. And they say even here in the earthly bounds, because we have not been able to get down to the deepest depths of the ocean, there's a lot of species that we have yet to find. So we think we got God figured out. We think we have creation figured out. But the reality is, the further we go out or into the microscopic world, the more we realize that there's a lot of untapped stuff that we haven't even gleaned yet. Amen? So God 
even in the known world, he's beyond measure. So I know this passage says, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, but we really can't even describe how incredible God is. And the great thing about that is that in all this wonder, all this splendor, all the things that we see, he has a personal relationship, chooses to have a personal relationship with you and I. So that's incredible. I mean, it's truly incredible. You know, I've told people before that you look at a lot of religions, it's not a personal loving relationship. It's a bow down and worship me and give me this or else relationship. But yet with God, he desires fellowship with all his followers. So that's another thing that separates him from everything else. You just look at the wonders of the human body. How can you only be, you know, five foot something or six foot something, and yet you've got miles of veins inside of you? It's just, how does he do it? (laughs) You look at the complexities of the human body and how you have this firing off, you know, neurons, and you have uh, oxygen going through the blood and nutrients, and you have just organs that have to interact with each other ones and this one's defective and it affects this system and that's the thing you not only have organs but you have entire systems reproductive system and gastrointestinal gastrointestinal system and endocrine system and just all these things you have voluntary movements and involuntary movements all these different things that have to go on just to make us work and God thought it out perfectly and designed it how excellent is his name in all the earth Amen. Hallelujah. We just look at just who he is in us. It's already excellent right there. When you compare it out to then expanding it to the earth and then taking it out to the universe, this is incredible. There's no words for him. So excellent is a nice try, but we really can't say how wonderful God is because we just cannot in our language say it right. All right, let's look at another one. Leviticus 22, verses 31 through 33. Therefore shall you keep my commandments and do them, I am the Lord. Neither shall you profane my holy name, but I will be hallowed among the children of Israel. I am the Lord which hallow you, that brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. Now you'll see here, that God himself, you know, we saw in the, our text scripture with Jesus telling us how to pray. He says, we need to pray our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then we see here, God is talking about being hallowed. Don't you profane my name. That word profane means to wound, to diminish. And here's one thing that caught my eye, to break one's word. God says, don't you wound my name? Now, you can't really hurt God. But you can call yourself representing him and to people kind of ruin his reputation. You can't really hurt him directly. You're not that good. But you can wound his name by calling yourself a follower and then acting like the devil. And that's not fair to him. Unfortunately, a lot of people do that. They wound his name. See, he's saying, don't profane my holy name. A lot of times we think, oh, if you use a certain phrase, or if you swear to God, you're profaning his name. But it goes beyond uh, 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 cursing. It goes beyond 
saying something the wrong way. It goes beyond the verbal things, in other words. It goes into how you could profane his name by your actions. So God is telling us, don't do anything to wound my name before people. Don't do anything to diminish it as well. Don't conduct yourself in such a way that it diminishes how somebody might see me. Because before you came on the scene, many say, well, I know I don't have a great relationship with God, but I'm still in awe of him. And maybe one day I'll get my act together and get right. And then if you come in and represent him the wrong way, oh, well, maybe I don't, if that's how God is, then, hmm, maybe I don't need God after all. If that's how the people of God act. See, you didn't, you actually, you didn't necessarily wound it, but you diminish how they see God because of the way you may have acted. And then finally says, do not break one's word. Don't promise in God's name to do certain things and then renege on them. Because now you make them, see, instead of seeing the God of integrity, you're representing them. They say, okay, well, they're supposed to be acting like him and they talk a good game and they go to church every week and they say this and that, but they're always dishonest with me or they're, they lack integrity with me. So therefore, hmm, once again, maybe I don't need this God thing. Because we're supposed to represent them and we're supposed to be the human representatives that walk in the character of God so that they who cannot see God can see him through us and it draws them into relationship with him. So we represent ourselves in a poor fashion, then it gives them a, a poor representation of his character and who he is as well. Amen. Which is really why Christianity is fizzling out across the world, especially in the United States. Because the representation of the character of God has been so dysfunctional and poorly represented that people are like, I don't want God. Because look at them people. Amen? That's the problem with the world. We're thinking like, oh, there's so many heathens out there. We created them. <laughs> Not us specifically, baby, but the church. The problem with people being unbelievers out here in society goes through generations and generations, decade after decade of seeing the hypocrisy, the mean-spiritedness, the lack of integrity, the poor behavior of Christians. They didn't have this problem back in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. Churches were packed. When did people stop coming to church? They kept interacting with Christians. I ain't going to church no more. They're a bunch of hypocrites. I was going through trouble. They wouldn't help me. I used to work with him until he stacked me in my back. We were best friends before he dogged me out. That's why the churches are in the state they're in without being packed. Because people interacted with the church. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so his name has been profaned not just by people using a phrase that's inappropriate, but by the actions of people. Now we see here that instead of profaning his name, God says in verse 32, I will be hallowed among the children of Israel. So just as Jesus said in the New Testament, prior to him even saying it, God says, I will be hallowed before you. I will be holy, pure. Uh, some of the things it says is to pronounce or observe as clean, pure, undefiled, and holy. So that is how we're supposed to be seeing God. Amen. Hallelujah. Observe God as clean, pure, undefiled, and holy. That is how we're supposed to see him. Now, the great thing about it, though, is that God says, as you consider me and evaluate me and pronounce me and observe me and treat me 
as being clean, pure, undefiled, and holy. Then he turns around and says, I will be hallowed among the children of Israel, colon, I am the God who shall what? Hallow you. You reverence me, you glorify me, you worship me, you consider me and treat me as if I'm pure, undefined, and holy. As that, through that relationship, I will purify and render you holy as well. So see, we're not going out on a daily basis praying and perceiving and treating God as if he is pure and undefiled and we glorify him and he's all that. And he's our father and he is the most wonderful thing in existence. Then because we have slacked in terms of our perception of him, then we automatically diminish how he flows through our lives as well. And we're not rendered the way we should be. So that says it all in itself that if we want God to f- complete this process in us, we have to perceive him and interact with him in such a manner that it can flow in our lives. So he's telling us not to wound or diminish the glory attributed to his name. But we also not only need to observe it in his life, but we need to yield ourselves to his leadership and his sovereignty so that he can work out all the kinks and, and, and flaws and terrible things that are within us so we could be rendered pure and holy as well before people that we interact with. All right, so we looked at our Father, which art in heaven, and we also looked at hallowed be thy name. Then the next thing Jesus said is, thy kingdom come. And I said it earlier while we're singing, you know, thy kingdom come, as in God's kingdom come, not our personal kingdoms. A lot of us are living in our own little kingdoms, and a lot of times it's a little kingdom, (laughs) a little broken down kingdom that has walls that the enemy keeps barging through, and he steals this, and he attacks that, and he wrecks this, and he messes up that. A lot of times it's because we're living in our own personal kingdom instead of calling down the kingdom of God into our lives that will help prevent the enemy from getting in or will drive the enemy out if he's there in the midst of our kingdoms. Amen? So we're going to look at the kingdom of God and how we want his kingdom come. Thy kingdom come, Lord. Amen? Hallelujah. Romans 14, 17 through 19. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. All right, so it's basically telling us in the first part is verse 17, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. We really can expand that. He's basically telling us that it's not about the routines and the rituals that you go through. The kingdom of God is not your man-made uh, traditions. We do this at a certain time. We do this at a certain time. We stand up. We sing. We bow down. We sit. Uh, we put this on program. This person recites this. I mean, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have structure at church. We should have some kind of structure and not just run in and out and do our own thing. Amen. There should be some instruction. I've been, you know, places where like, okay, they sang and 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 sang. It's about two hours of singing, another half hour, 45 minutes of testimony, and then five minutes of word. 
That ain't, that's not working. Because a lot of people aren't studying during the week. The only time they get in the Word is when they sit their butt down in that chair. So if you got them in that chair, you need to instruct them. Amen? Hallelujah. Oh, Lord. <laughs> so that's the time they need biblical instruction and encouragement and insight and sometimes reprovement and sometimes being poked by their mothers. <laughs> oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. <sighs> but it says here, it's not meat and drink. But in things, um, in these things, serveth Christ. If you serve Christ the right way, it says you are acceptable to God. Amen? As you do the principles of God. And we saw that Jesus said to pray and to perceive God a certain way and to conduct ourselves in a certain manner. If we do these things, it says that if you serve Christ correctly, you are automatically acceptable to God. So as we talked about him being hollowed, and then I will hollow you, not hollow like empty out, but hollow like and purify and make holy, <laughs> the A one, not the O one. He says he will do this process in us, and we'll be purified, amen. And see, the thing is, as he makes us holy, not only are we acceptable to God, but it says here, approved of men. So a lot of the quarreling and the disputings and things like that, yes, there's always going to be some people that are nuisances in our life. But we could reduce the amount of it if we're not making sure we're part of the problem. Amen? Because there's always going to be some stuff coming your way. Jesus had stuff coming his way all the time in terms of people issues. Amen? Matter of fact, we looked through the Bible, he really fought the people more than he did the, the, the demons. We see like a few occurrences of him casting out demons. And, or the enemy, or the devil trying to tempt him. The main problem Jesus had through his ministry was what? The religious people, well, he, he, ain't he this, ain't he that? Well, they got somebody out, they got an animal out of a ditch on a Sunday. Oh, they didn't wash their hands before they ate. It was always the people, for the most part, that came against Jesus. Amen? So, there's always going to be people that are going to try you, but we see here that if we focus more on doing the things of God and uh, patterning ourselves after him and praying to see how we can learn more about him and take on more and more of his nature, it will bring glory to his name. It will make us acceptable to people to the best of that is possible because, like I said, there's always going to be those that don't like you. Somebody going to like you because they see the aroma of Christ on you or they can sense it. And they're going to fight you because of that. So think it not a strange thing. But... The great thing about it says that if we follow after all things which make for peace, thereby we may edify one another. So we can actually edify some people that are open to it, and we can even be vessels that help expand the boundaries of the kingdom of heaven. So you become an asset to the kingdom as opposed to being somebody that's to the detriment of the kingdom. You help expand it. You help advertise and promote that, hey, the things of God and the way of God is the right path to take. Amen? So thy kingdom come. Let's look at 1 Chronicles 29. We're going to look at verses 11 through 14. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all. And in thy hand is power and might. And in thy hand it is to make great 
and to give strength unto all. Now, therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? For all things come of thee and of thine own have we given thee. And that's really an interesting thing there. Um, We have to really look at our mindset regarding the Lord. And are we truly praying and saying, Lord, let your kingdom come? We see here that it says God's kingdom is associated with greatness, power, glory, victory, and majesty. And as I said earlier, we can keep adding and adding and adding adjectives to describe the Lord's kingdom. But do we have that mindset on a daily basis? Do we realize that regardless of people's perceptions, that God is Lord over everything? Amen? Is that the mindset we have, or do we look at people, we look at what they have and say that that has more prominence than what I have in my life? You know, God, is he truly Lord above everything in our lives? As we see here, and that's an interesting thing, (laughs) it says, all things come of thee, and of thine own have we given thee. What is that saying? You don't own anything. And whatever you give God... You only give him back what he let you have. It wasn't even yours. And that's why he tells us in Malachi, when he talks about tithes and offering, shall man rob God? And they say, rob you, God? How can we do that? Like, aren't you, in, you know, up in heavenly places, spirit being on the throne? And how can I f- rob you? Because, see, there's, there's two things. And the police will tell you this. You know, we had an officer years ago, Officer Darren Jones. And he said, like, to steal is to take one's possessions. To rob is when you inflict bodily harm and take somebody's stuff. And God didn't say, will a man steal from God? He said, will a man rob God, do bodily harm? And he said, well, how can, you, how can we rob you, God? You're up on the throne. Shoot, no man, nobody can see your face and live. <laughs> so how can we rob you? He said, tithes and offerings. What? Oh, you did harm to the body. You harmed the body by not doing what you're called to do, and you harmed yourself. And that's why he says, you know, if you do it, I'll rebuke the devourer for your sakes. Amen? So here, not getting in, I'm not trying to get into a big sermon on tithes and offering, but the reality is the reason we're giving tithes and offering is not because God wants your money. Neither are we serving God because he truly needs your talent. God owns everything. He's everywhere. He's all-powerful. He's omniscient. Amen. He has all these things. Anything we're turning back to God is really just a token of our love and devotion to him. So when you're giving God your tithes and offering, you're basically saying like, okay, God, you gave me 100% of everything I have. Since the earth is yours and the fullness thereof, if I have a job and you own everything, that means the corporation I'm working for would not be open to give me a job and pay my salary unless you had given somebody the provision to make that company be there in the first place. So therefore, the company I work at is God's. Amen? The car I drive, there would be no Audi if God had not given somebody the ingenuity to create a car and for people to build the roads for me to drive my car down. Amen? So my car is the Lord's. You know, my talents. God knew me before I was formed in my mother's womb. I wouldn't have the talents I had unless God said, in the divine creation of Brian Fox, I need him to have these attributes so my talents and my ingenuity are his. Same for Picasso or Shakespeare or whoever it may be. Everything we have is of the Lord. 
So all we could do really do is in devotion to him and adoration and proclaim like, hey, I love you and I thank you for what you put in me. Give him a little bit back. And that's what he says here. For all things come of thee and of thy own have we given thee. So sometimes people think, oh, well, well I, I, I know I'm supposed to put 100, but I'm putting five because I don't like that preacher. Oh, he asked for money too long. Well, you ain't hurting him because the church was there before you came and it'll probably be there after you leave. Amen? <laughs> he ain't after your money. Well, some cases he might be, but most cases he's not. <laughs> and the reality is it's not a token unto him or it's not like, okay, he preached good, so I'll put a little more in this week because he did a good job. Oh, he preached good two weeks in a row, so I'm going to give him a good amount of money. Oh, he stunk this week. You're getting a dollar. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a measurement of the person speaking. It's, it's not even about him. It's about God himself. God gave me the ability to have money. So I'm showing to God that in thanks of who you are and me trusting you to be the source who provided in the first place, I'm saying, like, instead of me saying, I got it, and now me, 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 me. It's mine. I'm holding on to it before I lose it. Instead, God, you allow me to have all this. I thank you for all this, and I trust you're going to continue to sustain me. So to demonstrate this, I'm going to give back unto you. I'm opening up my hand and releasing it because I trust you to keep it coming. And once again, it's not just your money. It's also your time, your talents, you know, your gifting, everything. Not just holding it into myself and saying, it's mine. I'm not going to let it go. See, holding stuff in and not letting it go is either a form of fear, because if I let it go, I won't get it back. Or it could be a sign of selfishness. Well, it's all mine, so nobody's getting it. Amen? But God is a God of giving. He gave his only begotten son. So he wants us to have the mindset as well, take what I've given you and give it back freely. Either give it back to me freely, or if there's people around you that need it, give it to them freely, because I'm a God of giving. Amen? Hallelujah. And the word tells us in Galatians, what a man soweth, you know, he shall surely reap. I think a lot of times we only think about that in terms of sin. If I do bad, I'm going to reap bad. No. Reaping and sowing works for good too. You reap good, you're going to, I mean, you sow good, you're going to reap good. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So all things that are out there on earth are already his. Whether or not we choose to say, I give it back to you, I glorify you, it's at your disposal. Whether or not you give it back or not, it is his. So any mindset that it's mine, I'm going to keep it and nobody's going to have it, is really born, once again, out of fear or selfishness or ignorance. I guess I should add a third thing. Because the only genuine thing we truly have that we can give that's not his is really the praise that's in our hearts. That's the only thing you could truly give him that wasn't his already because he can't make you feel a certain way. He could have, but he chose not. He chose to give us, give us the free will to choose whether or not we can praise him and choose to praise him. So we should be freely giving and returning and thinking of God and his greatness and the glory of his kingdom and how we want it to be not only a part of our lives but in the lives of everybody surrounding us and do our part to pray and ask for his kingdom to interact and intersect and overcome anything that is contrary to his nature and his kingdom. Pray down 
the kingdom, usher in the kingdom, call down and request the kingdom to come forth everywhere you go on a daily basis. Hallelujah. We're going to go to the book of Psalms. 22, verses 27 through 28. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord, and all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. For the kingdom of the Lord's, and he is a governor among the nations. So it says, all the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord. All the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. And really, you, you can see that occurring now, you know, throughout the world, places where the gospel is never preached, and through satellite and TV and radio and book distributions, and electronic book distribution now, Sometimes people taking full books, 300 pages long, bam, one email, the person's got it on the other end and can read it. Amen. You know, that's such an awesome thing. I've had people um, contact me, and I remember years ago, it was really my heart's desire was to be able to do it all the time, but um, it wasn't feasible. I remember one time I sent a book. I sent a book series, a discipleship series overseas, um, and it was $29 for the series. But when I went to ship, to ship it was like 80 bucks, minimal. It's like, wow, <laughs> I could buy two more of these, <laughs> almost into my third one. So sometimes you want to do stuff that wasn't practical. But somebody contacts me now and say, hey, well, I'm not shipping physical materials, but, you know, sometimes I say, hey, if you could find, like, a ministry nearby or a bookstore nearby where I could order it and get it in your hands without shipping it, then it's a possibility. But then a lot of times I'll just say, okay, here's a series, email, bam. I've had preachers, like, I've sent them series, sermon series and that they could use over there. Amen? And all they need is, like, a printer, print out a few pages, bam, they got materials. So, so God has really enabled us to reach the whole world if we have the desire to do that. And it says here, it says, The kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the governor among the nations. You know, you may say that some nations, you know, we see here in America that there's a decline on Christianity and really... Um, Islam is probably growing the fastest, probably worldwide, really. Um, but even though we may not be considered a Christian nation, we're kind of on the defense right now, probably slightly on the lower side of not being at this point. Um, but regardless of a nation acknowledging God or not, the reality is at some point at the end when God is judging the world, uh, y'all going to acknowledge whether you like it or not, you're all going to bend your knee. And it's going to be a time where he's going to be sitting in the throne in Jerusalem. And he said, you guys are going to bow down and pay reverence to me. And if you don't, it will not rain on your nation. <laughs> oh, you, want, you want to drought? Okay. <laughs> so that ain't going to be the nice Jesus, gentle lamb. It's going to be like, nope, this is the roar. Y'all going to come here and y'all going to bend the knee. And this is going to be a day, too, where the word, word of God tells us that he is the name above all names, names, and every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's going to be a literal day. I don't think only people realize that. It's going to be a literal day where Jesus, he's just going to come on the scene, and it's going to be like every knee on earth going. Every head's going to go down. Our Lord and King. And the Bible passages does not say it's willing. There's going to be a lot in their hearts going to be shaking their fists and profaning him. They're going to bend anyway. It's going to be bow down. And if their body don't want to do it, you probably hear the sound of knees breaking. They're going to bow. The day is coming. Everybody will bow and bend their head before the sovereignty of Jesus Christ. That's going to be a joyous day in the life of Christians because we're going to willingly say, Jesus, 
We're going to immediately go down because we want to. But there's going to be a lot that don't want to. They're going to go anyway. Oh, you're going to bow. Because the power and the glory of God is going to be so heavy that you can't help but fall down as dead before the presence of Jesus Christ. Amen. I like the Wendy Elect books, The Chronicles of Brothers. She did a, a really good illustration. If y'all had not read that, y'all should look them up. There's three books. supposed to be a fourth. The fourth one has been waiting for years. But um, Chronicles of Brothers. And one of the things I like about it, it talks about before the fall when Satan was still up in heaven. And they had this one scene in the book where Jesus just thinks, I'm going to visit Lucifer. And just at the thought of Jesus saying, I'm going to visit him, the glory hit Jesus, Lucifer so hard that he fell down as though dead. Just as Jesus thinking. So they have all this. People had this illustration in their minds of like, I even saw a picture one time of Jesus and Satan arm wrestling. Just the glory of Jesus coming, thinking of coming. Satan bows down. There ain't no battle, ain't no arm wrestling, ain't no titanic struggle in the heavenlies. Satan cannot take Jesus, period. Jesus just look at him and he'll fall as dead. Amen. There is no battle before Jesus. Amen. So everything in creation, amen, even the fallen angels are going to all bow down before the name of Jesus. Those who are opposed him are going to be cast into the lake of fire. Hell itself is going to be cast into the lake of fire. So you think, you know, people joke about, oh, I know I'm going to hell. You better do something about it real quick. You think that, you need to get desperately saved. Amen. Because people think, oh, well, I'm going to be partying. No, you ain't. You'll be eternally tormented. And the fact is, as bad as hell is, that ain't the worst. Hell is going to get thrown into another lake, the lake of fire. So people think they're going to be tormented and burning in hell. And that's the epitome, and I'm going to burn in there forever. That's not the bad part. This is even worse. Hell itself. Think about that. Hell is a place of, of perpetual torment. But that's not the worst there is. He's going to take hell and throw it into a lake of fire, which is even worse. So hell itself will be burning. I know. Lord, have mercy to the nth degree. People need to get saved. Because <laughs> it's much worse. And once you go, there's no getting out. And that's why we need to be praying, thy kingdom come. Because as the kingdom comes, it helps bring more people in. So that they can avoid going to the hell I just talked about. And the second death in the lake of fire. Amen? Hallelujah. So all the nations, all the kingdoms will bow down before the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And like I said, thank God for those of us who want to do it willingly. We need to say, hey, I don't need to sit back on this knowledge that God has blessed me to have, to have a right relationship with Jesus Christ. I need to advertise, promote, invite, suggest, drop a little tidbit, plant a seed, whatever you need to do to try to introduce people to Jesus Christ because the destination is not good if they don't know him. We need to do our part to help introduce and usher in the kingdom of God everywhere they go. All right, next thing Jesus said in the prayer, thy will be done. Thy will be done. And that's really a powerful statement. We really look at the ministry of Jesus Christ. And according to the word of God, it says that if they recorded all the acts that Jesus Christ had performed on the earth, 
it says that the world could not contain it. Just imagine that. That if we recorded everything, every miracle, we think we know about the miracles of Jesus. We got the light version, the abridged version. We only heard a small portion in here of what he did. Just think about that. If he says, if the word says, and the word is true, cover to cover, if the word says that if everything Jesus Christ had done was recorded in the book, the world could not contain the weight of the volumes of books, it would destroy the earth, then that means that the part we saw in this physical book that we could pick up, that's only a small subset of the incredible things that Jesus Christ did. That's, that's incredible right there. So we got some of the stronger ones, maybe the best stories in the Bible. <laughs> but the fact is, this is not everything that Jesus Christ did because the word itself, not Brian Fox, not some theorist, but the word itself says that the world cannot contain all the works that he did. So that being the case, if Jesus Christ is saying that in the midst of all this, my total mindset at all times was to glorify the Father and I choose at all times to not focus on myself but to make sure I do the will of the Father, then that is a strong emphasis on our lives as well that we need to have the mindset that we want God's will to be done in our lives as well. And we also want to be, once again, a, a vessel that can be used to introduce the will of God in the lives of other people as well. So he says, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. That really caught me from the text scripture. You just think about that. It says, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. That shows us something. In heaven, everything God wants is fulfilled. But for Jesus to say, let's pray that his will be done in earth as it is in heaven, that means the only place where resistance to the will of God is in action all the time is where? Here on earth. That's why he's telling us to pray for it. So man and people in the earth are sadly the only people who are resisting God's desires. But we can choose to be a part of the problem or try to be a resolution of the problem. And we can also evaluate ourselves and say, hey, am I resistant to God's will for my life? Are there certain things I'm fighting up against? Because it's sad enough when people as a lifestyle are rejecting God's will for their lives on a daily basis. And they may go through their whole existence, deny him, and then, as I said, be con condemned to hell. It's quite another thing where we profess to love and honor Jesus, and then we're resistant to his will. So we should, like I said, all evaluate ourselves and say, hey, am I in a place where I'm truly doing what he desires for my life? Or is there a part of me that says I'm Lord of the throne of my mind, of my agenda, of my actions, of my behavior? Who is Lord? Am I really focused on the will of God being fulfilled in my life? That's something we all have to look at. Um, let's look at Jesus in terms of that. Matthew 26. Matthew 26, 36 through 42. Then come of Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. 
tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O Father, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep, and saith unto Peter, What? Could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. That's something. Just the, the enormity of him sacrificing himself and knowing what, what was to come. And then at the time of your greatest anxiety, fear, we see here that, verse 38, he says, My soul is exceeding sorrowful. Not just sorrowful. I'm not just having a bad day. I'm not just discouraged or sad. He said, I am exceeding sorrowful to the point of death. Like, even before I can get to the coming crucifixion, which I know is going to kill me, he says, just me thinking about what's about to come, I'm sorrowful to the point that my sorrow and grief alone, the heaviness of what I know I'm about to endure, I can almost die just at the thought of it. I mean, that's basically what he's saying. My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. I can almost die from the pressure of what I'm about to endure. I mean, some people say in the Garden of Gethsemane, I forget there's actually a medical term, but where you sweat to the point where blood comes out your sweat, your pores. There's, a, there's actually, um, people try to say that, ah, that's not possible, couldn't happen, but they actually um, analyze it and they found that there is a true medical condition where people have literally done that because the level of anxiety, fear, grief, or whatever um, is so high that your blood vessels burst and then it rises up to the surface and it comes out of your sweat glands. So there is a true condition. So, so much for the naysayers about Jesus doing that. Amen. There's actually been proven that, yes, you can do that. So he, he was to that point where it says he was sorrowful and very heavy. And then he told his friends, like, this is what I'm experiencing. He didn't just like, oh, I'm just going to smile and internalize it. No, he went to them and said, look, I'm going through a hard time right now. And what did they do? They went to sleep. Great friends. Went to sleep on them. <laughs> I mean, I kind of look at this and, you know, it's not in the word and stuff and we don't know what truly happened at that time, but I kind of wonder too, though, for somebody to go through so much and to say that to them and come back and they keep being sleeping, you know, I think there could be a possibility that God put them to sleep because Jesus, you got to go through this one alone and you have to choose with no support. You have to choose. You're going to do my will. Amen. So we weren't there at the time to say and criticize, like, how in the world could you go to sleep, Peter? Mister, I'm going to cut an ear off if they mess with my boy. How can you go to sleep with him when he's telling you he's about to? <laughs> we just don't know. So anyway, Jesus is expressing the heaviness of heart. We see here that when he was faced with the greatest ordeal in his life, and whether he was going to run from it, whether he's going to defend himself, he wouldn't pray. He said, Lord, if possible, take this away from me. Don't let me have to go through this, this terrible experience. But he said, in the midst of that prayer, like, even though it horrifies me, the thought of it, you know, 
Nevertheless, it's not what I want, but it's what you desire. Your will be done, Lord. And then he goes to the disciples, finds them asleep, wakes them up. And he tells them, like, look, you know what I told you I'm going through. You can't stay awake for one hour to support me and to pray for me. And then he warns them. He said, look, in a time of crisis, you've got to be watchful and prayerful. Amen, because temptation will come in and try to message you. And he's probably trying to share with them, too, like, hey, the enemy's trying to get me to, to walk away from this. Amen? You've got to watch and pray. And that's why Jesus, in the midst of this, he didn't sit there just talking about it, talking about it. He fell on his face and he was praying and he's communicating with the Father and saying, God, if possible, take this away from you. But nevertheless, I'm going to do what you want. He stayed in the presence of God because as he told them, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And his flesh had to be telling him, bro, you better get out of here. Run for your life. Find the nearest boat. Time to get up out of this place because you know what's about to happen. But yet we see he kept praying. He interacted with them. He told them to keep praying for him. And then he went back. And in verse 42, it says he went away again the second time. Once again, without the support of his followers. He went alone again and got into the presence of God. And said, Lord, if possible, you know, this cup can't be taken away from me. Except I drink it. Or in other words, I go through the process. Thy will be done. He's like, I'm going to do your will. So we have to evaluate our lives. You know, are we willing to sacrifice, to face difficulties? You know, none of us will probably be in a situation where we're going to give our lives for our faith. I'm not saying it's impossible. Things have happened. But a lot of us will lay down and die one day. You know, or be, you know we'll, we'll go a smoother route. We won't be killed for our faith you know can't promise that because it happens overseas but the likelihood is really unless uh the end of the days really comes on the horizon with the antichrist and everything a lot of us will have a gentler route to meeting jesus in heaven but that doesn't take away the fact of how we live our lives on a daily basis do we have the mindset lord thy will be done you're willing despite how you felt in your emotions and in your flesh with your flesh and your earthly emotions as a human being, because he was not just all God, he was all man. So he felt the pain and the fear and the desire to get up out of there. He had the enemy going to him and telling him, I'm sure, once again, like, why are you going to go through this? You're crazy. They don't. He's probably all up in his ear. But yet Jesus said, nope, i got to do the will of the Father. So we have similar temptations on a daily basis, decisions to make. Times where we have the choice of doing the God thing or the Jesus thing. And there's a lot of times where it's one thing if you don't know what you need to do in a certain situation. It's quite another where you know full well what you need to do and you're going through that battle in the head or in the heart. Like, I know the way of God. I know the decision that needs to be made. I know the stance that I need to take. And you have that inward struggle going on with your fleshly desires, your emotional um, issues associated with it, the enemy trying to speak into your ear and say, oh, things would be better if you do this way. Amen? And to go through that struggle, that internal struggle that nobody else may necessarily see and then have to make the decision, yes, I'm going to lose possibly all of this, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done, Lord. Amen? 
I'm not going to say I've been perfect, but there's been different sacrifices we've made over the years. Quite frankly, we should be, we should be filthy rich, probably, Pam and I, just out of lawsuits. <laughs> I got hit by a drunk driver who, um, she totaled her car one week. Then she got a rental car, and she totaled several cars and did major damage to my car the following week. And I had, like, major damage to my car, back aches for, for, for months, and, I mean, it was a lawyer's dream, that case. But I basically just took the case with my lawyer far enough to pay his fee and to get my car fixed. And I remember when I sat down to the lawyer, he was upset. He's like, what, did you realize, you know, he's trying to talk me into it? And I said, yeah, but I said, um, for my back ailment, I said, I'm going to the doctor for my back, and he's putting this, I think it was a TENS unit on my back to stimulate it. And I said, but every time he puts that thing on my back, I said, I'm worse the following day. And I said, my concern is that it's actually agitating something, and I might end up living with back trouble the rest of my life. So I said, I just want my car fixed. And he's like, no, you, you don't realize about I mean, he probably thinking big digits and stuff and went to court and the person lost the, the, kid, the legal case for like the criminal part and losing her license. So he's probably like, man, I'm going to get a payday out of this. But I told him, your fees, my car, done. That was one. That was one time. Should have been the lottery. <laughs> then Pam got hit across the school in her car by 18-wheeler. Another major lawsuit could have been, but Pam got out of the car, and actually that's when she got restored to God, right before I got saved. And you saw that car, you're like, whoever's in that car is dead. Ain't no question. Steering column, destroyed. Tires flat. Car crunched. She's got out of the car, Jesus, I'm back. It never turned back. And we had people mad at us. What? We reunited. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. So I'm walking around now. I don't have any back problems. For me to keep going to the doctor and professing and then going to depositions and stuff, professing my back pain. See, you got to watch what you're professing. (laughs) I was like, no, I don't want to be claiming. I was early in my faith, but I was like, I don't be claiming no illnesses and stuff. And I was like, hey, yeah, my back was bothering me for a few months. Yeah, I wasn't lying. My back was bothering me. That's why I went to the doctor in the first place. But I said, for me to keep professing it and then getting treatment that is agitating it, instead of maybe just saying, hey, maybe it's a muscle thing and I'll just leave it alone and it'll be fine. I was like, I don't want to be professing something that's not true to me. Amen? So I professed the things, and, yeah, we walked away, and people thought we were foolish, like, you crazy, you crazy. I said, well, if that's the way you feel, you got to get yourself rich fun. I believe the Lord can make me rich without pretending to be sick. You know, I ain't got to be claiming nothing negative to, to be rich. If he wants me to be rich, I can be rich, and ain't nobody going to stop me from being rich. Amen? I don't have to see, I don't have to do it that way. Even when I was out there in the world, I was like, I don't need, I'm man enough and created enough and gifted enough. If I'm going to get rich, I could do it on my own merits. Amen? I was never one to say, give me the easy route and somebody hand me something. No, I work for what I got. That way, when I get it, I don't have to apologize to anybody. Because I know the fruit of my labors were sowed into that thing. So it's been, I was like, I'm that way before I got saved. You know I'm that way when I get saved. Amen? So then, are we rich? No. <laughs> Not even close to it. But I don't have back aches. And Pam doesn't have any, any aches. So, hey, we did it God's way. People thought we were foolish, but 
We had to do it God's way. That's the way that God told us to do it. I'm not saying that somebody gets hurt and has a lawsuit as a Christian is not trusting God and believing God. That might be the route God tells them to take. <laughs> and I've had times I've told people, like, whoa, there's stuff going on with you. Yeah, you need to see a doctor and lawyer. But that was for their case and the level of pain and stuff they're going through. Sometimes you do need to go through the situation. Amen? But my thing is, let God lead you on it, not people. Because if we had done it people's way, we would have got the money. But like I said, who knows how my back would have been. I had somebody I talked to um, last week. And he's always somebody, if I email him or call him, it's like this. He gets right back to you, especially email. Usually if you email him, you get a response back in a few minutes. So I had to ask him about something. And I sent him an email, and it was four people involved. And I heard back from three people, and the funny thing is one of the persons I heard from, they are usually slow in getting back because I don't think they check their email every day. So I'm like, well, man, what's going on with him? I was like, he always responds quick. So I left him a voicemail. And then the following day I called again. Didn't get get him. I didn't leave a second voicemail, but I called and tried him. So finally, um, three days later, he calls me up. I pick up. He said, man, he says, oh, you won't believe. I said, what? I said, you're okay? He said, well, actually, no. He said, um, I was just walking through my house, and he said, I stepped down wrong. He said, I've been on my back for three days, man, excruciating pain. So I said, see, you better be careful. Because of a childhood accident that messed up his back. And this guy, years later, he's probably late 40s, having back aches. That's why I was like, you know, you need to watch what you profess it, because there's people that don't want to profess that are suffering. Amen? So be careful what you're professing, especially, like I said, if the Lord's telling you to do something a certain way, you need to do it that way. Don't let people talk you into something because you don't know the consequences of what they're trying to talk you into. So you need to stay with what God is showing you in your heart of hearts to do. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm going to um, close with that today. We're going to continue on next week on the Lord's Prayer. As I said, um, I don't know what's on the horizon, um, but the Lord had placed it strongly on Pam's heart. To, for us to study this, and it may just be, hey, God has something he wants to unleash in our lives in this year, that through us being mindful of the principles of God, like I said, it's not necessarily reciting the Lord's Prayer word for word, but just having the kingdom mindset of God's kingdom being ushered into our lives and us speaking and being mindful of God and our relationship with him, that may be something that just unlocks things that may have been restricted or blocked or, or laying dormant. Amen? Hallelujah. All right, let's give the Lord a hand clap. Praise the Lord. <laughs> thank you, Jesus. Uh, thank you, Jesus. All right, Chief. I'm going to um, close in prayer. If y'all have um, prayer, feel free to come forward. And I'm just going to pray. The Lord's kingdom be manifested in our lives. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we praise and thank you, Lord, for enabling us to study your word once again. And even as you laid upon uh, Pam's heart, hallelujah, for us to study in depth the Lord's prayer, we praise and thank you, Father, that uh, during this time of season, we'll be mindful, first of all, that you're our Heavenly Father, hallelujah, in everything that we do. In you, as we saw earlier, in, in him, we live and move and have our being. So we thank you, Father, for that. We praise you, Father, that there's no area of our life that is not under 
the umbrella of your protection. It's not under your provision. It's not under your blessings. We thank you, Father, if we're dealing with anything that makes it seem that you're not in control, that we would, first of all, get our minds right, that we would see that despite any trials and tribulations, despite any things that the enemy is trying to do, that you are Lord over all. And we just praise your Father for that. As a matter of fact, we praise you and we say that hallowed be your name. We thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. We praise you. We glorify you. We thank you. And we're mindful of you, Father, that your name is upon us as well as every area of our lives. And we praise and thank you, Father, for that. And we pray, hallelujah, that we reverence and glorify your name above all things. We say, Lord, let your kingdom come and your will be done. Hallelujah. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And we know, Father, according to our text scripture, that you desire for things to be done and performed and for your kingdom to come as it is in heaven. There's no chaos in heaven. There's no rebellion in heaven. There's no corruption in heaven. We praise you, Father, that the, the likeness of the things in heaven would manifest in our lives here on an earthly scale. Hallelujah. That you bring peace and unity. Hallelujah. You bring a spirit of order, Father, and decency. We praise and thank you, Father, that you would bring, hallelujah, creativity, just everything that we would need, Father, hallelujah, to cause our careers and our education and the health of our bodies, the wholeness of our minds, just every aspect of our lives to fall under the, the guidance of your principles and the standards of your principles. And we just praise and thank you, Father, for this. We just praise you, Father, for victories, Father, where the enemy is brought in disillusionment, discouragement, and defeats. We thank you, Father, that, hallelujah, your kingdom comes with power and glory, um, majesty, dominion, power, and we even saw victory. We praise you, Father, for victory in every area of our lives, and we just thank you, Father, for this. Right now, Father, we speak, hallelujah, to provision. Hallelujah. There's monetary needs here. We speak, Father, provision and fruitfulness, Father, over your people. We thank and praise you, Lord, hallelujah, that even though we may not know where the resources will come, that you will bring in the resources because, as the word says, you own the cattle on a thousand hills. And actually, that's even less than what you own. You own everything in the earth. Hallelujah. So we just thank you, Father, that you would redirect your resources into your people's hands today to meet every need according to your riches and glory. We pray, Father, for divine health, that you will pour out your health upon your people. Hallelujah. Bring healing from the top of their head to the soles of your feet. We thank you, Father, that we keep flus away from us. Father, you keep allergies away from us. Lord, the hallelujah, you would even use us in the midst of sickness, Father, to bring about divine health. We pray for uh, Deb at my job that's been sick for over a week. Father, we pray, Father, for Shannon who had been sick. Lord, that you would heal them from head to toe. And we thank you, Lord, that hallelujah, you would touch the lives of uh, people that are going through bodily ailments right now. We continue to praise you, Father, for the people of Paulsboro. So many calls coming in. Um, from the chemical spill. We praise you, Father, to touch them and to heal them, to use, uh, give them wisdom regarding how they would handle the situation, Lord. Hallelujah. Father, show them uh, in this situation they need Jesus more than anything to protect them, Lord, and to heal them. And we just thank and praise you, Father, for this. We praise you, Father, for a fruitful week ahead that you anoint our minds, that you give us safety as we would travel, that you give us safety at the places that we're located, Father, that you would also um, anoint us and give us divine favor, hallelujah, before you as well as in the sight of the people we interact with, hallelujah, that we would see 
your presence and your kingdom manifested everywhere we go. And we just thank and praise your Father for this. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus.